May God bless us this morning by his word, in his spirit. May we hear him, but may we listen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Howdy. Glad you all could join us uh, here for worship. Thanks for joining us online, everybody. I uh, wanted to also uh, give you all a quick update. Uh, my sister, uh, she's uh, had a uh, tumor in the inner thigh on her left leg. And this uh, last Wednesday, they were able to go in and remove it finally. So thanks be to God, it is out. Um, so right now, we're just uh, taking time to see what she's going to need for physical therapy, as well as any future treatments. So if you continue to pray, we're grateful for that, but also just praying that whatever treatments she may need, that she'll have uh, patience and perseverance, and uh, that we can all be supportive as well. And I was thinking a bit about my sister. My sister and I, we overlapped at high school by a year. I was a senior, she was a freshman, and we went to the same school that my mom was working at, which meant we had to go to school early. Yeah, and so we're sitting there in the office, and, and you know, it's a time to kind of review whatever you didn't study the night before, kind of get it fresh in your mind. And I looked over, and I, would, and I saw my sister, and she was deep in thought like very focused, very intent, and looking at, at the desk where the book was that she was studying, I'm like, man, my sister, oh, she is such a good student. I am so impressed. And then realized she'd fallen asleep with her eyes open. I had never heard of that before. It was the freakiest thing. And you're like, Steph? And she's like, Oh, oh, hey, and did not happen just once. That happened a few different times, which might explain her interactions with uh, teachers at times. Uh, by the way, 8 a.m. service, I've noticed a few. Um, with that, though, also is uh, oftentimes we, we kind of have this idea of when we see someone oftentimes being idle and working, sometimes have these very subtle differences, for example, like I would have do, to do a project management uh, with different jobs that I've had before, uh, a chemical engineer or urban planning, and it's like you'd see a guy standing there kind of staring at everything that's going on, and you're like, why is he not working? Why is he not doing anything? Why does he seem like, like he's out of place? And then you give him a clipboard, and he's a foreman. So it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm, super, I'm supervising. Oh, okay, yeah. Which, of course, every kid always wants to be. It's like, oh, just give me the, I, I, I'm, I'm supervising. Go do the dishes. You don't need to supervise anyone doing the dishes, kid. Come on, it's okay. But this idea that you can be doing something without actually putting in any actual work. This came up a lot when I was uh, teaching physics back uh, in the day. And uh, so I was, I was teaching physics for several years. And I remember that I would have to explain to the students that not everything that you do is actually work. So I could have something on the ground, and I have to bend over, and I have to grab it, I have to lift it up, I have to put it over here. And then I go and put it right back down. And I say, okay. How much work did I do? And they're trying to figure out, well, you know, you had to lift it, you had to move it, you had to, like, bend over. And like, no, I did absolutely no work. According to physics, it started and stopped in the exact same place. So technically, I did absolutely no work. And, and, and with that, it's this feeling, this idea of, like, but I did so much. Did you? 
And, and, and with that is we even understand this idea of idling because if you say that your car is idling, is it going anywhere? No. Are you still burning gasoline? Absolutely. Is it getting anywhere? Absolutely not. And this idea of what it is to be idle, it keeps coming up in such a way that Paul has to focus on it and deal with it. And I want to make sure that I specify that idleness is different from sloth, okay? Sloth was one of the sermons we did previously. Remember I talked about uh, one of the deadly sins is the deadly sloth, and he comes through the jungle to come and attack you, and then it's, uh, oh, that, that, not that kind of sloth. But one of the things, though, is that sloth is when you don't have the energy to do something. But idle means you do have the energy, but you just choose not to do it. So it's a little bit of a subtle difference. I also don't want to give a sermon on being idle and let you all think that I just repeated the previous sermon without you know, writing a new one. So don't worry, I actually did write a completely other sermon. But with that, though, is as we're looking at, uh, at theologians, I mean Thessalonians, what we see then is that with it is that Paul wants to talk to the Thessalonians but he wants to encourage them. And the thing with that is that the Thessalonians were, this is one of his first letters. This was the early church. This was way back in the day. And the thing is that they were waiting that Jesus might come back literally tomorrow or literally next week. Like to the point, we were reading this gospel passage earlier and that's what they're expecting to happen Monday. Okay, we're not saying someday. No, no, no. They've got it figured out. So, of course, what is it you're, are you going to go back to work? No, why am I going to go back? There's no point to that, especially all the teachers in the crowd. I don't want to deal with those students if Jesus is coming back. Come on. And, and with that, is it's like, well, okay, great, but you know what? A week passed, a month passed, a year passed. You haven't done anything, and you still have to eat. Where do you think the food is coming from? And this was becoming a huge issue, is that people were literally doing nothing but somehow expecting that they'd be taken care of to the point where his first letter, he had to write about it. 2,000 years later, and to find out that people are still reading about the stuff in your church. But going beyond that, though, is that in many ways, we see more than just this question of Jesus coming back again. But oftentimes, it's this idea that we almost feel like we're entitled not to work sometimes. And I, and I have to pause and make sure that I say a mea culpa. Because pastors can sometimes be the worst offenders. There are so many times where people make that joke about you only work one day a week— and yet there are a few in the world where it's not that big of a joke. When you find out, oh, how long did it take you to write that sermon? Oh, I wrote it about nine years ago. I just give it every three years with the lectionary. So what did you actually do? But beyond that, though, is also realizing that ministers, as well as everyone else, there's work to be done in the world. There are people who are in need. There is plenty to be done. And you're sitting there, Arguing over colors and altar styles and which type of bread to use in communion? And yes, 
There are pastors sitting online spending hours arguing about what type of bread to use in communion. Steadfast and all that. But with it is that even when there were rabbis that would travel around, rabbis didn't stop having work. Rabbis would, would go, and as teachers, they would go and they would have their job during most of the year, and then when it was time for them to go around and teach in the community, they would raise money to go and do that, but then come back to their life and go back to a job. It was not every single rabbi who could be doing this full time. And even for the ones that were, they were spending their time with students and stressing what needed to be done. There was work to be done. Even Jesus himself is a carpenter. There is no reason to think that Jesus didn't work for most of his life. What do you think he was doing for the first three decades? But going further with this, though, is that even this idea that, that Paul comes back in 2 Thessalonians, and not only is the problem still there, but it's worse. There was this thing that they would call in the Roman community called patronage. And patronage was this idea of, there is someone who will take care of me and make sure that I have everything I need, so then I will make sure that I serve them and do them different favors. This wasn't about saying, how am I working to earn my keep? Because most of the time, they were just sitting around, just waiting to be told, go run me this favor. And then everything gets taken care of. Instead of asking, what does my community need and how can I contribute? The mafia did not start with the Godfather, and it did not start with Italy. This is a major part of what we've seen in Western society is this idea not of how do I work in my community, but rather saying, how do I manage to get what I want as easily as possible? Now, we can look at the, sort of like the initial, like, like kind of like a cover surface view of this, okay? And we can say, well, this is just making sure that people know not to be beggars, Okay, great. So now we go down uh, 610 over by Westheimer. We put up the sign saying, don't give money to panhandlers. Boom, done. We got this chapter out of the way. No more. No more at all. All, all solved, right? And yet, what we see with this is not even asking questions of where is this other person trying to go with this? but rather pausing to realize how often we are the ones trying to do this. It's just that sometimes some people are more obvious than others. Because with this is that, think about the work that we do, or that we say is work. How much of the work that we do actually contributes to growing food for our community? How many of the people, and there are some, fortunately, that are actually in the middle of building shelters? How many are the people that are actually guarding our lives and our neighborhoods? How many of the things that we actually do are actually contributing to the work that needs to be done? Because I can promise you, food still has to be grown. Houses still have to exist. Communities still need to prosper. And yet, how many times are we just looking for a chance to get what we want without actually asking how we're a part of that. 
But the thing is, is that even when we find ways to step back and make our jobs easier, because how many times do we say, it's not really work if you love your job? But instead of taking that extra time, whenever we find how to do something easier, and instead of taking the extra time and the energy to put it into more, is instead we use it as a chance to sit back and just glory in how easy we've made our lives. Because I promise you that even when we can do that, we're still going to put that energy somewhere. And that's what Paul is getting at when he tells them to stop being busybodies. Is that when we're not putting that effort, that energy into contributing to the world around us, is we're going to put it somewhere, whether that's telling people about little secrets and lies behind their backs, whether it's trying to find something to complain about in the world around us, whether it's even just trying to meddle in things that somebody else is doing just fine, but we don't have anything else to do. So we kind of jump in, and for all the housewives trying to get their retired husbands out of the house, don't worry, we understand. But with that, is that the energy goes somewhere. And Paul is asking, why are you not doing the work that is needed? Because that's what we end up seeing with Jesus. We don't see somebody sitting back, not, oh man, I had a really long day today. You know what? Yeah, let's just let these crowds kind of do their thing. Okay, y'all got this taken care of. That's fine. Uh, uh, you know, I sent y'all out uh, two by two. I'm just going to go chill out over here for a bit is that not only is he spending the time with each and every person that God has placed before him, that his father has placed before him, but rather is saying, now that I have trained you to go out and to do this work as well, now is the time for me to reach new disciples. Even pushing to the point of giving his very life for us. Now, I know that there is a temptation that it, starts to sound like, oh, great, you know, then you're never allowed to rest. You're never allowed to pause. You're never allowed to just take a step back. No, that's not the point. Everybody needs a Sabbath. You work, you work, you work, you pause, breathe. You work, you work, you work, you pause, you breathe. Sometimes you step away to refresh. But the question is, are we taking a Sabbath so that we can get back to the work that is needed? Or are we taking a Sabbath because we're just trying to avoid life? And avoid what needs to get done. And sometimes, even if we're sitting there in front of our computer for however many hours, and we can log down with our boss, yes, I clocked in at 8, and I checked out at 5, and then we pause and ask, yeah, but what did you actually do? And at the end of the day, did you just spend it justifying that you're worth whatever they gave you? Or did you ask how you could do better the next day? See, that's a thing about this, is that the Christians that were there in Thessalonica were losing the respect of their community. People didn't want to hear about Jesus because all, some of them were doing, not all of them, but some of them were just going on, well, Jesus is coming back. There's really no point in doing any work. Or, you know what, I'm just going to wait for the right thing to come along. And once that right thing comes, oh, I will be ready for it. I just got to stay here and do nothing because I'm waiting for whatever that right thing is to come along to put my time and my attention into instead of realizing how much there is to do right here, right now. 
I mean, I grew up in a household where my dad was a machinist, but there was two years where there was no machine work. Guess what he did? He became a security guard. That's not a machine work. But he did it because that was what there was to do. And in many ways, we've lost touch with that. Even to the point where many of our youth, many of our young people are struggling with this same feeling. Because oftentimes, we find like, well, if their life is easier, shouldn't they be happier? Not even close. Because either one, we've put in them this idea that the only way they can measure success is when they get to an easy place in their life, or we let them know that their time and their energy doesn't really matter. And so what is it that they're putting it toward? How many times is that the middle-class youth that feel so much pressure to become something, but how many of them just want to go to work each day, want to live their life and be able to contribute without feeling like, have I impressed everybody by becoming this upper class where I have an easy life and everybody else has to do my bidding? How many of them aren't living up to this unrealistic expectation and fall into drugs depression and anxiety because they have nothing else to do but be on their phone and wonder why they're not as happy as everybody else. Or even for those where the very people around them just take it easy, just find a chance to step away. Why? Because that's the example we've given. And then they wonder why it is that they feel unfulfilled. And with this is that we ask this question, is this what we're really working toward? And I would say no. And the reason why I would say no is that I would say that nothing worth having is meant to be easy. I would say that nothing worth having is meant to be easy. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have times where things go well. And it doesn't mean that things are supposed to always be bad. But when something matters, isn't it something that you put your heart and your soul and your time into? If you actually genuinely want to pursue something, isn't it where you put yourself? Because even if it matters, but you don't put your time and your energy to it, what happens? Over time, your heart loses interest. It's why couples need to go out on date nights so that they don't get distracted from the connection and the bond between them. That's why it is that even whenever uh, parents could hire a babysitter, it is so important that they actually spend time with the kids. It is why it is that even whenever we find that we can pass a job on to somebody else is that sometimes we need to pause and say, hey, you know what, even though you can do it, if I do this with you, not only do you realize that it matters, but also maybe I could show you things that you didn't know before. Because how many teachers, myself included, just think, give them the assignment and they'll figure it out instead of actually finding ways to sit with them and show them. But that's the thing with this. Think about when was the last time something was meaningful to you? This could be family, this could be work, this could be a hobby, this could be something around you, this could be a person. 
When was the last time something was meaningful to you? And when you spent the time and the effort toward what meant something to you, didn't it mean that much more? And that's the thing about a God who has actually walked this earth with us. Because God doesn't need to do anything. I mean, he literally speaks a few words and all of existence comes into being. That sounds like a pretty easy job to me. And yet, to deliberately come and walk with us time after time in his son, even being patient with the people asking him terrible questions. The other day, I was on the internet because that's the harbinger of all truth, of course. And with that is one of the little commercials comes up. And you know, you have to wait for the counter. It's like 10 seconds and you're waiting for it to count down so you can click on the little button and go on with your video. It's like, okay, 10, 9, 8, okay, great. Whatever car they're trying to sell me this time, that, that's awesome. But waiting to click. But every once in a while, there will be an ad that actually makes you want to watch it a little longer. Every once in a while. And this one was about four minutes. And I'm like, you know, I could probably spare four minutes. And it was about this coffee shop called uh, Biddy and Beans Coffee. And apparently there was a family where two of their kids uh, had developmental and intellectual uh, disabilities, struggles. And oftentimes people dismiss those who have differences developmentally, intellectually, especially the way they look, maybe their mannerisms. But instead she paused and realizing how much she loved her children and she fought and worked to find out how they became a part of that society. When you think of a coffee house, oftentimes we think of the big franchises. And we measure success based on how many places that they can get to, how big they are, and how easy it is for them to get us our coffee. But she had one coffee shop. And she worked tirelessly to make sure that not only did they make it so that people could be there for coffee, but also so that those who didn't know what their worth was could live it out, serving and having purpose. And the joy that was on their faces, knowing that they had just been brought into a task that not only they could do well, but also that people treasured them. They weren't looking for an excuse to find an easy way to do something. They were looking for a way to bring them in. Until years later, she could finally say, now I can start a second place. Sometimes the work that's in front of us, it's not about trying to find an easy way out. It's not about trying to do it faster. It's not about trying to do it easier or trying to find some way to get somebody else to do it. But sometimes it's about pausing and saying, God has put this in front of me. Because with that is not only does it give it life, but it also gives us life. And that's the thing that I want to ask you. What is it that you know is in front of you right now? The thing that you, you keep thinking, there's got to be an easier way to do this. There's got to be, you know, a less tedious way to do it. There's got to be a way, you know, can somebody, let me just pay somebody else to go and take care of everything around the church campus. 
Did y'all see everything when we were walking in? I came in a few times during the week and I saw the, the, some of the people working on it they're just sitting there and how they looked so confused when I said thank you. Like they weren't quite expecting somebody to do that. But the thing with that is that where we put our time and our energy is also where we place our heart. And what I'm saying is that as a community, as a church, how are we showing that to one another? That we have a purpose, that we have a meaning, and that there is work to do together. So how can we encourage you in the tasks that God has placed in front of you? Because God's calling on our life is not only a chance to live it, but another chance to share that gospel with the world around us. Thank you for your patience with me this morning, and thanks be to God.